0: Good morning, church. Listen, yes, this is not uh, Crosby Harbin. If you look at the bulletin, there's one distinctive mark. You should give that away. Yeah. My name is Kevin Hurd. If you're visiting, I have the joy of serving as the pastor of discipleship here at Ebenezer Baptist Church, and I am the leftover. Okay, <laughs> so what happened is a few weeks ago, I got this stuff that everybody's had, and I got through that, then it passed through the rest of the staff, and Crosby was scheduled to preach today, and Crosby uh, texted me Friday and said, I got a fever, can you step in for me, and I go, absolutely, that'd be awesome to get to do that. And what a joy it's been on this New Year's Eve day to be with you, and to hear you sing church, to sing these glorious gospel cross-focused songs how beautiful you are. I mean, I could just stand here and applaud you and say, hey, let's go home because that was awesome. That was just amazing. But it is my challenge and it is my task today to come to the Word of God with you. And I want to ask you, if you will, go ahead in your device and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Today, as you know, is the last Sunday that we will be together as a church. It's the end of the year, we start a new year this coming week, and it's right to draw our attention to something about what it means to move forward and to look forward. And you no doubt, like most everybody else is thinking, somewhere along the lines of something being better, something being different, something changing as you go forward. Maybe it's something about your work that you feel like God's directing me to a, a new path and things are going to be different in this year. Maybe it's a better being a better parent, a better spouse. Maybe it's something about your health you've got to work on and you want to do better at that. Maybe you want to manage your money better. And there's just a whole list of things that we start creating in the first of the year to kind of think about, how's this coming year going to look for me? I think one of my favorite poems or prayers of the year goes something like this. Dear Lord, so far this year I've done well. I had not gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that Lord, but in a few minutes Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot of help. Amen. You know, if we're honest, when we come to those lists, they're probably very short-lived, kind of like this little cartoon that you'll see on the screen there when these cartoonists capture it so well. So what exactly is a New Year's resolution? It's a to-do list for the first week of January, right? Or maybe like these two ladies here who are sitting there saying, this year, I'm serious about my resolution to go to the gym. Last year, I went only twice, once to join and once to renew, right? And that really speaks honestly of kind of where we are when we think about New Year's and resolutions. But my mind started thinking on Friday about, well, what does it look like to reach the end of it? It's one thing to say, this is what I want to start, this is what I want to do. What does it look like to go forward and really finish in this year? And I was somewhat captured yesterday as I was watching the Georgia FSU game for a lot of reasons, right? And if you're not a Georgia fan, just kind of pause for a minute and just kind of just plug your ears up if you want to. But don't miss the point in just a moment. As I was watching the pregame interviews and Kirby was talking about what he was doing and what he was hoping to see happen, he said something that grabbed my attention. If you're keeping up with college football and transfers and the portal and people opting out, He said that we, as a team, the team itself, decided that we were going to stay together. And he said in that interview, he said, what we want to do is we want to finish well. And I quote, he says, I'm certainly proud of these guys that decided to stay in and not opt out. They wanted to finish together. I think finishing, he says, is important, and I don't think enough people talk about it. And so it's one thing to be all pumped and excited today, looking at a new year and saying, you know what, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And they're all good things probably you're going to do. They're right things to do. But somehow or another, we lose sight of that real quick and forget that when there is a start, there's got to be a finish. And when I think about finishing, I think about how the Bible talks about us finishing well. And if I was to pick one Bible character who I would say finished well, it would be the Apostle Paul. In the passage that you have in your hands, and we're going to stand in a little bit and read, this is Paul's final letter that he will write. In a matter of days, the evil emperor Nero is going to call for his head to be taken off. And Paul is going to be present with the Lord forever. So in this final letter of his, in 2 Timothy, he is writing to them to say the things that he wants to be remembered for. How he finished. How life came to an end. And you say, that sounds horrible on a New Year's Eve to talk about. Like you're coming to an end, you're going to die. That's not the point of why he's saying that, though it is true. The, The reality is Paul is saying... This is how I finished because this is how I began. This is how I lived my life so that when I came to the end, I could say I'd run the race. I had finished and all is good. So Paul, writing from the Roman jail with that certain knowledge that he's going to soon be leaving this world, Nero is going to call for his head, he pins these words that we find in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to invite you to stand as we read and hear the word of the living God to us this morning. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good faith, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you that you handed down to us long ago your word. And you handed down everything that we need to know and how to live and be godly in Christ. And you've given us everything that we need to know when it comes to how we run the race set before us, how we live our lives. And I pray that as we come to these three simple verses, that profound truth and illumination will come to our hearts and our lives. And you, precious Holy Spirit, will do the work that only you can do. And you'll work throughout this congregation today. And you will tailor and you will fit the truth by way of application so that we, not one of us, but all of us, will walk out of this place today knowing that you have spoken to us. We've heard from you from heaven above. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. One of the things I find interesting about this life of Paul and these verses is something I ran across years ago from uh, Howard Hendricks, uh, who was uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary. He did a study one time on all the men and all the women of the Bible. And what I found interesting about that is he looked at a hundred different detailed biographies in the Bible. He, in the end, he, turned, he says that most of them recorded in the Bible didn't finish well. They didn't run the race to the end like they were called to, and they didn't finish well. Some turned to immorality, others drifted away from the faith, or they ended their life in a backslidden condition. And that's interesting to me because when I come to the Apostle Paul, he is the exception. And that's why he grabs me. Because if he is the exception to the rule of those hundred lives, and he is a life that we can look at and say, what is it that caused you to run this race so well? What is it that led you to really be able to say you had finished well and you're ready to go home? What would that be? What would it look like? Obviously, none of us are facing a prison like Paul, and none of us are really knowing that just in a matter of hours, our lives are going to come to an end. Though they could, we never know, right? But we're not in the same exact context, but we can from Paul learn exactly what day in and day out mattered to him, so that when he came to the end, he could say, this is how I lived, this is what mattered. And what I hope you do with all of those expectations you have and those plans you have for new years is that you take these three verses and we from that learn what they are about and then see how they apply to you and those things about your life going forward. And what we're going to find here is that there are three necessities if you're going to finish well. Three things, just three simple things I'm going to give you. Here's the very first thing and if you want to take a note and keep up with this, it'll be on the screen for you as well. If you're going to finish well, if I'm going to finish well, if I'm going to run the race in 24 that God has given me to do, I need a clear reminder about my life. Look at it in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. So Paul is saying, I've already been doing this. I've already been doing this, so we need that reminder, like Paul is telling us what he did. And I call this a clear reminder because it's so easy to forget about what your life is about and what my life is about. And the scripture leaves us in no question as to what life should look like. No matter what those goals are, no matter what those objectives are, they should center around these two things. Are you ready? Number one, my life is an offering. There's a clear reminder in this passage here, but when Paul says, I am already being poured out as an offering. And that should be something that's in our heart, and our minds as we run into this path of 24 and to say, that's what God wants for my life. Whatever that is I'm going to do, it should be centered around this thing called an offering. When Paul says he's being poured out as a drink offering, what he's doing is referring to an Old Testament ritual of sacrifice that they would all have been familiar with. So let me give you a little backstory that you may not be familiar with. In the scriptures, when the worshiper would bring his offering, part of it was consumed sometimes at the altar, and part of it was given to the priest. They would sacrifice, give to God that portion, and the priest would receive the other portion. But when the offering was consumed by fire, and it's called a drink offering, they would take wine and they would pour it onto the offering. And you get the picture here. This whole thing is going to be consumed. This whole thing is going to be offered up to God. And the pouring on the wine, which is a picture and an image in the Old Testament here of of the delight and the joy and the celebration of giving it all to God. And as that wine would be poured upon that sacrifice and the fire would consume it all, is this sweet aroma would arise and it would have a sweet smell reminding them of the sweetness of saying, it's all yours, God. So listen, whatever you're going to do, whatever I'm going to do as we come into 2024, this is important to keep in mind that there should be something in our hearts that's just driving us, compelling us to say, after all you did to come and live and die and rise again, all that glorious stuff we were singing about a while ago, when you did that, what else could I do but give you all that I am and all that I have? Whatever that thing is I'm going to do, there should be this sweet aroma arising in my heart. Saying, I'm yours, Lord. Nothing held back. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Really? Because you and I need to think about is there something about our lives that really matters more to us than giving ourselves to Him? Is my career more important? Is my money? Is a relationship? Is my time? Is all of that more important? Or can I say, Here am I, Lord. I give it all to you. Now, we're not bringing a sacrifice, we're not pouring out wine. But we are called in Romans 12, right, to be a living sacrifice, to give ourselves to him. So what's it going to look like when you go to work, when you go back into your family, when you go back into the community? Is there going to be something that people are going to go, there's just something sweet about the way your life smells. There's just something about the aroma of who you are that you are so wanting to please him and offer your life to him. If they don't see that, then you and I have missed what it means to finish well. We will have missed it. Here's the second thing. Not only did Paul say, my life is an offering. He said, my life will be over one day. I'm departing. That's what he's telling us in verse 6 here. Now, listen, for most people, we don't like in this happy, clappy Christian culture we live in, we don't like to think about one day life's going to be over. And for most people I deal with in life, all they can think of when I'm talking to them personally, privately, is about the future, about right here. They're just thinking about now. That's their eschatological view of life. It's about six inches away. It's some relationship. It's some event. It's something that they are hoping will happen in the near future. And that's okay to think about near future things and to do those things. But we will not finish well if we don't remember that race that I'm starting has an end at some point. I've got to keep that clear in my head. Everything in this world is designed to make you and I think that life here and now is where it's found. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you don't know this by the revelation of Scripture, you'll know it and you'll realize it in real life, that the more you keep drinking from those broken cisterns that the Old Testament refers to, you're going to find it never going to satisfy you. It's never going to mean anything. It's never going to make your life be what God intended it to be. So, number two. Not only do we need a clear reminder, but number two, we need, as Paul shows us here, a continual review of our life. So we need some clear reminders. Oh, this is what I'm here for. To be a living sacrifice. To remember, it won't go on forever. I'll only have one life. What's done by Christ will only last. So let me let me live my life realizing it's going to come to a conclusion. I need those reminders, but I also need to continually review my life. And I often like to tell people that when you review your life, it it should be like looking in the rearview mirror of your car, right? I mean, too many people just stay stuck looking at the past, thinking about how bad things have gone, what they had to go through, how difficult it was. And I don't want to minimize that in any way. But listen, you will never live the life God called you to live. If you live your life, driving your life, looking in the rearview mirror all the time. If you drive your car today on the way home and you keep your focus on the rearview mirror, looking at what's behind you, you'll wreck that car. And you will wreck your life. If all you can do is keep looking at what happened. Paul says, I'm forgetting the things that are behind me, and I'm looking forward to the things that are before me in Christ Jesus. Reaching up for the high calling of God in Christ. I want to know what's before me and ahead of me. And so Paul here is saying, you need to do some review in your life. Here's three things you and I should be constantly asking ourselves as we look back and say, how am I doing with this? How's it going with that? Not stuck there, but just remembering to take a look at the past number one, is my life disciplined? And Paul's talking about that in verse 7 when he says, I have fought the good fight. And what he's saying is, "I've, I've, I've continually struggled like all of God's people with dealing with living for Christ. Trouble has come, distress has come in my life, trials have come. When I look, I've seen hardships there. But as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, But in all these things, we approve ourselves as the ministers of God. In much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fasting. And he goes on to say that though our outer man is falling apart, it's perishing. This man on the inside is being renewed day by day. That's him looking forward. This is what God is doing in me and what God is changing in me. So there needs to be these moments in our life where we look back and say, how am I doing with discipline? Do I give in and give up real easy when trouble comes? Do I quit or do I say, you know what? I see it there. That's exactly what's there, but I'm looking forward. I'm going to keep fighting the good fight and I will not give up. And Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you have people around you who just moan and whine with you, and keep you looking in the rearview mirror, you need to let them out of the car. Because <laughs> they are not helping you. You need brothers and you need sisters in your life who say, yes, it is hard. It is difficult. I hate that for you, but let's press on. Let's keep marching on to follow our Lord and serve Him. And watch how He is put on display in an amazing way. And people <coughs> see, not you, but Him in the midst of that. Whatever else you can say about Paul, Paul would tell us here, listen, life's hard, but God is good. God is faithful. He's been faithful. We sang about it. We, we rejoiced in it a while ago. When you look in that mirror and you see those difficult things, you need to ask this question to you of yourself. Do I live? Do I fight to live for Christ? Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Am I doing that? Let's move on then. Number two second thing in review you might want to ask yourself is, is my life directional? Is it headed in the right direction? When Paul says in verse 7, I have finished my course, and I've kept the faith here, what he's saying here is that, listen, what I've done is ran the course that God had set out before me. He's not living the Frank Sinatra theology, right? I did it my way. He's not got a Burger King theology, right? I'll have it my way. No, he's thinking about his way. I have stayed on the course. This is the course that God has laid out for me. Paul could say, ever since that day that I came to Christ, I've been following him. When troubles came, I kept following him. When persecution came, I kept following him. When I was cast down, when I was discouraged, I just kept following him. He wouldn't, he, couldn't, he wouldn't look back and say, well, it was easy. You know, he would look back and say, it's hard. He'd look at it and say, but God was faithful. God was faithful. God was faithful. You know, I think, and I going just say this, hopefully, and you get the point here. For most Christians, they think life is supposed to be easy. In my private counseling ministry with people, and I've sat down with tons of people, they'll say, this is so hard. I just cry at times. I weep at times. I struggle at times. What's wrong with me? And I look at them and go, you're normal. You're just like the Apostle Paul. In that life was not easy, again, we bought into this crazy prosperity kind of theology at times to think that really, if I just trust him, if I'm just faithful, life will go easy and life will be good but from one standpoint it is good but from another standpoint life is hard and the apostle paul looks back and he's asking himself that question not only am i disciplined and staying faithful to do the things that god called me to i'm fighting but is my life staying focused on the direction that he's called me to and if we were sitting down privately and talking we could talk about what that direction is but i'm going to trust the holy spirit to just Apply it to your life and let you think about that direction that he's called you to, to be faithful, to keep finishing and to run and finish the course. There's one more thing Paul did in review. And that is, he looked at his life to see if it was doctrinal. Now, doctrine might be one of those things you look at and say, that's just dead and dry. Oh, my brothers and sisters. (laughs) Doctrine, rightly understood, should ignite us. There should be some impassioned orthodoxy about it. If I really believe all these things that this book reveals and God has shown us and given to us in here, it ought to ignite my fire and my passion to keep the faith. It doesn't refer to Paul's personal faith. It doesn't refer to his personal commitments. What it means is I have kept the faith. This truth, this book right here is what has governed my life. When I look in the rearview mirror and life is hard, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to stay disciplined, to stay focused on what's before me, keep the direction clear in my mind, and really keep making sure that this book is governing my life. Now listen, too much social media, too many friends, and everybody else around us is what sets the standard for our life. But if we're going to finish well, we're going to keep coming back to this book, and we're going to ask that question over and over again. Do I hold on to God's Word and God's standard? And these are not complicated truths, right? They're not hard to understand. It's kind of like what I've often said to people. It's easy preaching, hard living. It's easy to grasp. God did not make this hard for us. If we're going to really run well and, and, and go forward in 24, let's clearly remind ourselves that my life is designed by God to be an offering and to pour it out in a sweet aroma to Him until He's finished with it. And two... Continually check and look back at your life. Am I fighting to live for Christ? Am I running the course that God set before me? Am I holding on to the words of God to govern and shape my life? Or are other things doing that? One last one and the one I'm most excited about. <laughs> oh my goodness. This third thing is, if we're going to finish well, we've got to remember the coming reward for our life. There's a coming reward Here's what Paul was looking forward to. I mean, he's literally reminding us and he's reminding himself how his life has been lived, way, the way it should be lived. He's continually reviewing, making sure that he's fighting the faith, he's running the course, he's holding on to the truth of God's word. But he knows that day is coming to an end and there is a coming reward for his life. Here's what he looked forward to. He's looking forward to a day. Notice in verse 8, In the future, and then he ends up at the bottom of verse 8, on that day. So now he's got his mind not just thinking about how he's been living, that what he should be living for, but now he's thinking about what's going to happen when it all comes to an end. When we reach the end of that race and that road, what will it look look like in that future day? Well, here's what he thinks about it. Number one, he says, There is laid up or stored up in heaven for me a reward. You know what that means? That means it's guaranteed. There is not one way you or me, as children of God, can ever stop that day from happening. It is guaranteed. There is nothing about guaranteed in this world you could ever put your hopes in that will make you know that, listen, this is going to be safe. But when Paul said, there is laid up for me this crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day... He is saying here that it's laid up, it's stored, it's guaranteed. And I want to tell you something. I think that day when he refers to that crown reminds us that's going to be a glorious day. When he refers to it as a crown of righteousness, I think he's talking about literally the nature of that crown, what it's all going to be like, what you're going to experience at that moment when you are with him. What do we mean when we say righteousness? We sang about it again this morning, but think about it in three kind of aspects. And that's what Paul is thinking about here when he says, this crown of righteousness is going to be placed on my head. This promise that one day this will happen to me, it'll all come to a summation when he remembers in that day that my righteousness that I had was something that God gave me in Christ freely as a gift. It's impossible. It is that imputed righteousness. It's the past thing that happens when you come to the Lord and you know you're a sinner. And there's nothing in your hands you bring. And you just cling to the cross and you trust that what Jesus did to live the life you could never live, die the death you should have died, was buried on your behalf and rose again. All of that put an end to you just as we saw in baptism. He said, now I'm going to give you my righteousness. You didn't have any, now you got it. And that happens here and it happens now. And if you're a believer, we're all equally bearing that righteousness put to our account. Can you wrap your mind around this for just a moment? Though you know you have failed, I know I have failed. I continue to fail. I'll make plans and they won't come the way I thought they would this year. Life won't just look good at times for any of us. But one thing I can be guaranteed of and sure of is that I have a righteousness that's never going to go away. A righteousness, listen, that is the righteousness of Christ, which is my, it's not me, it's not my performance, it is His. And so when God gave me that righteousness, He now treats me and relates to me in such a way that He can say, Kevin, your righteousness is a righteousness as if you have never broken the law, never sinned against me. In fact, it's even better than that. It's like you kept the law completely, fully. And you did it all right. And you're going, I never did that. No, that's the joy of the gospel. Somebody else did it for you, right? It's his obedience. He lived it. He perfectly did it. He kept all the demands of the law, and he gives it all to me. And so Paul, when he's thinking about that day is coming, there's going to be this overwhelming reminder that he made me righteous. And not only that, but through this life, all these struggles, he has been imparting righteousness into my life, changing me progressively, working in me through that big doctrine we call sanctification. And he's making me more and more to look like Jesus. And finally in the day, when Christ returns or we're home with him, that glorification becomes ours where we are now made perfect and complete. And Paul is saying, I am looking forward to that day. And in that day, I will be reminded that My righteousness was not from me. It was from Christ. All those changes he made were him working in me to will and to do his good pleasure. And now in heaven, I am reminded, it is finished. It is over. I am made perfect in every respect. Somebody said one time, when we are there and in that day, all the angels will look at one another and say, you know, they all look just like him. Because we're going to be made like him. And Paul is thinking of that. I wonder if you kind of, in the race that's set before you, you just kind of think this far or do you think that far? That day when that promise will be fulfilled in the future. But not only is it what he's thinking about a promise, but he's thinking about this as something that he lives for the day that it will be personal. I'm just going to close with this and wrap it up for you here. The Lord, he says, the righteous judge will reward me. But also, he says to all who love his appearing. You know, we sang in that wonderful worship song just before we came to this message. On that day, on that day, we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith. With one voice, a thousand generations sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes for just a moment before you put yourself in your shoes. Here Paul is about to be beheaded by the unrighteous ruler, Nero. And Paul says, on that day, though, the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me. Oh yeah, in a few days, Nero, the unrighteous earthly ruler, will have him beheaded. But in that day the Lord himself will reverse Nero's earthly judgment. The chief justice of the Supreme Court of the universe will weigh in on Paul's case and his judgment will be final. And it will be personal and Paul will experience like he's never realized in his life before what it is like for the Lord to place that crown of righteousness on him, reminding him of the past righteousness, the continual righteousness, now the perfect righteousness. And he is saying, listen, Paul, I want you to know I know what you went through. I know what you suffered. I saw your faithfulness. I saw your continual discipline in your life. I saw you pressing on and pressing forward. And I personally want to put this crown on your head. Now, listen, Paul said, that's not just for me. That's for all of you too, who love His appearing. Not just for Him, but for us as well. And can you be encouraged with that today? As Josiah comes, and we're going to Play and we're going to sing a little bit more of what we just sang a while ago. But maybe sing it with a little different feeling. On that day, you and me, with the heroes of the faith, Paul and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and all the believers you can think of through all the generations there, individually, personally getting that crown placed on their head. And you put yourselves in that place in that day. And the Lord knows how you've lived for him through all those years. He won't forget it. He knows all about your struggles. He sees how hard the fight has been. He knows how you are sometimes tempted to quit and how you keep on going when others around you throw in the towel. He sees and he knows. And in that day, the Lord himself will reward us and put that crown on our head. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is completely wet. Let's stand together. Just picture it. Picture on that day the Lord himself placing that crown of righteousness on your head and saying, well done. You've run the race. You've been faithful. Let's sing a little bit. And as we sing, here's what I'd like you to give, give you an opportunity to do. There's a possibility that here in the crowd this this morning, there are some of you who have never truly trusted Jesus. Or you've been to church, you go to special days and special events. But you've never really put your hand over your mouth, stopped giving excuses for why your life is as it is, and just said, Lord, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. This is a day you've heard the gospel. You've seen the gospel displayed in baptism. This is the day where maybe you want to come and truly believe on Christ. Trust in his righteousness. Because without that, you have none, and there's no hope of heaven apart from that righteousness. Maybe you are a believer, but you've kind of got off the track. You're not running the race as you know you should be. And today, the Spirit of God has just reminded you, He's tailored and fitted for you, the things that really He wants you to change. To focus back on it, to remember what it means to finish well. You come and you can pray as well. Maybe you're here and you're you're running well and you're faithful and you're just so looking forward to that day and you just want to come and you just want to say, Lord, thank you for the day that is coming. Thank you that it will be an incredible joy when you place that crown on my head. And I just want to praise you and just say I'm going to keep running until that day. As we sing, you come as the Lord leads you.